Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Esoterica. I'm Leah Eichler, and I'm with Susan Caddo. And today we have the incredible uh, pleasure of interviewing Carlene Montes de Oca. Uh, Carlene is um, an author of multiple books, but most recently she she's published a memoir called Junkyard Girl. Uh, welcome, Carlene. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. So this book really, when the, if I first heard of it, it really rocked me, um, largely because the impetus for the book came from a simple DNA test. I mean, something that we're all doing now. I mean, I've recently done my DNA test as well. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about, um, about the inspiration for the book. Sure. Well, I'll just tell you that it's an interesting thing. I took the DNA test and then I was so busy at the time when I got the results that I didn't really look at them. Mm -hmm. And then about a week after the fact, somebody reached out to me on Facebook and sent me a message and said, you look an awful lot like my wife. And I was like, gosh, what a flirt. And I ignored him. (laughs) (laughs) But then he kept persisting, finally sending me a picture of his wife. And he said, don't you think? And I said, I looked at her and I saw her glasses. I said, hey, I I don't see a resemblance. I think maybe your wife and I shop for glasses at the same store. And he said, well, ancestry DNA says different. And if if I had paid attention to the DNA test, if I I would have seen her name very clearly, her name was Martha, and that was his wife. And uh, so that's how that little experience began with the DNA discovery. And it ends up turning out that that woman was my half sister. So just to summarize for viewers, uh, Carlene took a DNA test, um, discovered that her family at, at 57, if I'm allowed mm-hmm, to say that, mm-hmm. at 57 took a DNA test and discovered that her family was not her biological family. And and no one, you have 63 cousins. First cousins. First cousins. Wow. And they all have children. So a huge family. And everyone was in on the secret but you. Well, you know, and it's beyond 63 first. Those are, have you ever seen that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? (laughs) And she's going, oh, I have 25 first cousins. I started counting at that time. And I said, I have 63 first cousins. And that's not even counting the second cousins who knew. That's not counting spouses of cousins who knew. Actually, about three weeks ago, a woman reached out to me who I went to grammar school with and high school with. And she said, I see you're writing this book or you've written this book. And I just want to tell you, I knew you were adopted. Oh, my God. (laughs) And and I just want to say a friend of mine said, uh, who you know as well, Bob Osler, he said, you know what? If everybody who was in on the secret bought one of your books, you'd have a runaway bestseller. So true. I, you know what? I think that is a call to action right now. It's a good marketing campaign. Yes. Uh, since you all knew when you were in on this, you know, uh, emotionally shocking um, discovery, they uh, they should not only buy a book, but they should sell like three or four of them, you know, just to kind of make up for it. As their punishment. As a punishment. So, okay. I mean, and it, it is a riveting uh, read and, and I, I feel your pain. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to, you know, 
I mean, maybe people do DNA tests and, and hope that they find a different family. I, I don't know, but, uh, but you, you were happy with your family and, um, and then you discovered this, this new one. Um, so, so tell us a bit about the early fallout. I mean, after the DNA test, after you realized that everyone was in a secret, what happened next? Well, I will say that two things happened. One, one is I had a physical reaction and two, I had an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. And the physical reaction came when my sister, my adoptive sister, who I didn't know was, um, you know, that we were not related by blood. She came out to Santa Fe where I live to actually tell me the truth because she knew that I had discovered this DNA thing, but I wasn't sure what the link was. So she came to tell me the truth. And when she told me the truth, uh, and I'll tell you what that was, is that my adoptive mother had, I lived in Southern California, or they lived in Southern California in the Santa Barbara area. She had gone to, <coughs> excuse me, visit a friend and was knocking on the door when she heard a lady crying outside. And when her friend came to the door, she said, hey, who's this woman? And she said, oh, that's my cousin. She's here from Chicago and she's not married. She has two children. She's got a third one on the way and she wants me to help her get an abortion. And this was the 60s when abortion was illegal everywhere. And my adoptive mother basically talked to my dad, then took the, and they agreed. And the next day took this whole family to live with them until I was born and said, we'll adopt your child and we'll raise her and then gave them money to go back to uh, Chicago where they were from. And my parents were not pe people of means. So when I heard this story, I was so, well, I think part, I was shocked in so many ways. One was the realization that the sister who's telling me this, I'm not connected to the way I thought I was. And number two, that my birth mother, sorry, my adoptive mother, who she and I locked horns constantly. We were just always just angry at each other and whatnot. She had done something so incredible for me at that point that I suddenly just was so grateful. But the physical reaction was that as my sister was speaking, I couldn't actually, I stopped being able to really hear what she was saying because my ears felt like they were full of cotton at that moment. She, I could wow. see her lips moving, but I was really straining to hear. So I think the shock created right. that. And I will say after that, I'm not somebody who cries a lot. You know, I, I feel like I deal with things. But after that, I was crying all the time. I was tying my shoes. I was crying. I was washing the dishes, crying. And I, my husband said, I don't what what's going on? I've never seen you like this. I said, I don't even know what I'm crying about. So there was this like Molotov cocktail of emotions just sweeping through me every single day for a while. I mean, sorry, and I know Sue, Sue has questions. But I just want to interject for one second because it's really fascinating. I mean, you're capturing a time, uh, you know, when abortion was illegal everywhere. We're looking at, we're, you know, we're you yeah. know, in the U.S. as well. Specifically, we're facing that kind of reality, possibly mm -hmm. in, in in many states as well. And your family just took in this woman who they're not related to, right? Uh, with her children until her baby was born, and then took the baby. So, I mean, were there adoption papers? Was there an agreement? I mean, it, there's so many questions. I mean, the, the I mean, I know a lot of parent, a lot of uh, couples who actually would love to adopt and can't because adoption is now very fraught. Mm -hmm. But they just really just mm -hmm. took you and and then brought you up as their own, just like that. I mean. <laughs> Right. And I think about this because I think like you, who does that? 
Right. Who, who does that? And I think these are, uh, my parents were immigrants from Mexico. They really had little means. They were supporting not only their own family, but they would send money back to Mexico for other people who didn't have, you know, a lot. And they did this. And I, um, you know, and I think about this right now during this time when a lot of people have nothing good to say about immigrants and or people of color. Yeah. yeah. And I think, wow, th these are people who did something extraordinary. And I, I wouldn't I don't believe I would have been here, certainly not talking with you. But in many ways, my life, I've had a very fulfilling life. And mm -hmm. I don't believe it would have happened. Hmm. Wow. Uh, did you ever get to the bottom of why so many other people knew? Like, I mean, it had to be more than yes. those who were around when you were born. Mm -hmm. My mother and father, my adoptive parents were pretty much the matriarch and patriarch of this huge extended family. My father pretty much had to leave school in Mexico when he was 12 years old to take care of his family when, which was, I think, seven brothers and sisters mm. when his father died. So he had a, and he was a very smart man, but he, and he loved school, but he had to leave and mm. then start to work and in jobs that he, a 12 year old could do in a kind of a poor town. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, so they had the respect of this entire family. Mm -hmm. And even when I would, I would, I started calling my cousins when I found out this news, cause I, my sister said, well, I don't know how many people know this. And everyone was saying, oh, I knew that. Oh, I knew that ever since I could walk. Oh, oh, you didn't know that? And That's what funny. I real and I would ask them and they said, hey, we would never cross your parents. It and it, it's true. It wasn't for them to tell me the secret. And right. and but it's just we all knew there was just certain boundaries we would not cross. And they knew they were pretty darn sure that the wrath of my parents might come down on them if they ever crossed that boundary. Wow. That is just crazy. I mean, wow. Um so you um, at 57 discovered that you have this biological family that you didn't know about. And yes. now I, I don't want to give away the whole book, but mm -hmm. um, you know, you do meet your biological sister mm -hmm. um, who, who's not involved with your biological brother um, and, 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 and you meet your mother, right? Yes. My, so my birth mother. Your birth, your birth mother. Now, can, can you tell us what that was like? Sure. I would have thought before meeting her that I would have felt some kind of connection, right? Mm -hmm. This is the woman who gave birth to me, that I would feel something. And I believe I'm a pretty compassionate person. I used to, I used to be an acupuncturist. So I was very used to connecting with people and finding that just bond but when they pushed her out in the wheelchair, she was in the state hospital in Chicago on hospice. And when they pushed her out, I, and I was still in denial. This had only happened three weeks ago that I found out I was adopted. And now I was meeting mm. this woman and they pushed her out. And I just looked at her and I said, that can't be my birth mother. She looks kind of like an elf, you know, and I, I really don't. And I just kept thinking, no, somebody must have made a mistake. This can't be true. And of course they hadn't because all the facts were in front of me. And, um, but, and she had severe dementia. So she didn't even know who my half sister was, who was there. Mm -hmm. And I had just met 
as well. And she was also suffered from bipolar disease, I think most Mm -hmm. of her life from my understanding. So I kept trying to find some sort of connection. I even reached out when she, she didn't want anybody to touch her. But when she wasn't looking, I thought, okay, here's my chance. I'm an acupuncturist, or I have been. I know how to connect with people just by touching them. So I reached over and just very gently touched the back of her hand. And then a few seconds later, she realized I was doing it. And she just kind of flicked me away. And later on, I I was telling a friend this. And she said, wow, darling, looks like she she flicked you twice. Oh, right, right. Oh, God. But so I did not feel a connection to her at all, oddly. Now, but your sister, because they, I mean, your sibling, your biological sister, so your siblings, they must have remembered you, correct? You mean my biological, my biological yes. sibling? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's an, that's an interesting thing because I, okay, this woman was didn't know I was her sister. She was just looking for family and mm-hmm. might I know somebody who she might be related to. And when I found out that she was actually my my real my sister, blood sister, I thought, God, I have to reach out to her. But I was so just, you know, um, it, all my emotions were everywhere. But I thought I can't make her wait. She just really wants to know if she has any family anywhere. So I called her to tell her and as I started telling her the stories that I had heard, like everything I've mentioned to you, it's like a flood of memories started coming into her own mind. She goes, oh, I remember. I remember your sister. I remember your mother. I remember that house that you lived in. And she just started, it, and she was getting more and more and more excited. And I was more and more like this because I'm like, God, it's so much what's happening. So um, yeah, she started remembering a lot of things uh, once I started you know, sharing my information. It's been like a fire hose of information to get uh, <laughs> it is. Um, and, and adjust to. Did you um, right away think that you would write about this experience? Well, I am a storyteller. And funny enough, I had been thinking, what's my next book? And I started mm-hmm. thinking, because there's two stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you've read of my book, but there's really two stories interwound. One is of this discovery of finding out my family was not my blood family. And the other one, because then what happens is you have to suddenly look at your entire past with a new lens because nothing is standing up the way it once did. And to me, I felt like my identity was fractured and I was picking up the pieces, trying to put them back together in something that made sense because it felt so out of control. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is uh, so initially I thought, well, I'll write a memoir about this second story in my book. And then suddenly this got thrown at me right in the middle of it. And I went, oh, my gosh, this is a powerful story. And especially as I shared it with other people of what had happened and I'd see their jaws drop. And so but but it was way too soon for me to write about that. Right. There's just no way I could. So I just started journaling for the year that I was trying to put the pieces back together again. And really, I had to go talk to everybody who knew anything about it. I was determined I was going to follow every clue and put it all back together again in some form. So once that was done, then I could start looking at the book process. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, uh, you know, it's it is quite the story. And I think it, it was probably very cathartic from 
but I, I get the sense of to write it for you, mm-hmm. um, to process a lot of those emotions. I mean, um, you know, there's, and you're right, there's a lot of interesting other stories interwoven into it. I mean, you talk a lot about, about the, your dogs and, and have the closeness of, of the dogs in your life and how, you know, growing up, and then there's the socioeconomic differences between you and your classmates. I mean, actually, if you could maybe elaborate on the term junkyard girl, like, tell us about the title a little bit. Sure. I came up with that title because my, my parents who raised me, were hoarders. Right. And therefore I, and my father kind of, his domain was outside. Mm -hmm. My mother's domain was inside. The thing was outside was half an acre and they came from, from poverty. You know, they came from very poor, poor economic situation in Mexico. And they, they started off well, you know, it started off that they were collecting things. And then every year we'd go to Mexico and they'd give you know, things to people mm-hmm. who needed them. But then over time, you know, it started being like, you know, gosh, how many cars that don't work do we need in the driveway? And how many old tires? And oh, look, another toilet bowl. It's like is waiting outside. You know, there was just yeah. so much stuff. And I was feeling just so trapped in that. I just longed for for space and sunshine and, and for our house not to be so dark and cramped and full mm-hmm. of things. And uh, my parents, this is the thing. I think the same thing happened meaning well with my parents, especially my mother. She was so protective of me growing up. She had taken my siblings around the cradle when I was born and said, this is your new sister. She is adopted. You are never to tell her she's adopted. Because if you do, someone will try to hurt her because there was a stigma around children out of wedlock in the 60s. And it was even worse mm-hmm. in Mexico where they came from. So my siblings were sworn to secrecy. But then it became bigger than that in that my mother was just so restrictive of me leaving the house, of me ever going anywhere. And therefore, I felt very suffocated in mm-hmm. that situation, and which led to a lot of my mother and my conflict. Mm-hmm. But so the term junkyard girl comes from being a junkyard girl. That's where I, <laughs> I came from. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, you describe it really beautifully, but all of the things um, outside and how, you know, you for your friends would come over and you would just create things just from the junkie <laughs> out in the lawn. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, now did, um, you know, I mean, your, your parents passed away. I mean, do you ever, do you dream or, or, or that there's something you could tell them or talk to them about now, now that you have this information? Mm-hmm. I'm not somebody who regrets things. I work very much towards, I don't want to regret anything, but that's the one mm-hmm. thing that does pull at my heart is yeah. I wish I could have five, 10 minutes to just yeah. sit with my parents and hear the story from their own lips. And also to know for them to know that I'm okay, that I'm okay, because yeah. it is a thing that they feared the most, you know, that I would find out and they did everything possible not to let me know. Uh, but I, and it's funny, because I think back on how my father after my mother died was always like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'd be like, Dad, yeah, I'm great. I don't, and he goes, No, I know there's something wrong. I'm, and he would always be so fearful mm-hmm. that something was wrong. And I, I constantly have to reassure him, dad, everything is fine. 
why aren't you worried about my other siblings? And I believe that that was at the root of that. Yeah. That is very, very yeah. interesting. As you um, started the process of writing about it, um, like how did you decide how you could shape this? I mean, you mentioned interweaving various stories, but was it, was it painful to write? Was it, did it just flow right from your pen? Were you taking things out of your journal? I think all of that. And I do know I've taken memoir classes and mm -hmm. they do, they do encourage you to go as deep as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But again, I'm not somebody who cries a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was like, am I not going deep enough? <laughs> I'm not crying. But I went as deep as I could. Yeah. And every now and again, especially some of the painful things would just yank at my heart and I'd have to go walk my dog or do something else. But it did flow. It did. It did come. And of course, the concern is how will other people receive it? This is the mm -hmm. story. I've been right. as and I would go through it and, and say, well, am I being honest? Am I really representing my story in an honest way that's not judgmental? That isn't, you know, I, I don't really want to criticize other people. Other people mm -hmm. have their reasons for doing what they do. And so I think all of those things, but I also think it was remarkably smooth, but I think it because it was my story and there right. wasn't a lot to make up. There wasn't anything to yeah. make up. It just came. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back now, I mean, with, with the knowledge that you have today, were there any episodes in your childhood or young adulthood that somehow, you know, make sense, make more sense now, given this new information? Well, for starters, it was always me who looked different and acted different than anybody in that massive extended family. Right. People would always, or people would also always say to me, you don't look like, I don't look like my sister or either of my brothers. You know, to, my father was, my adoptive father was very fair and he had green eyes and like a very long nose. And my, two of my siblings looked just like him. And I'd, and a lot of the Montes de Ocas look like that. And I'd say, well, I don't look like that. But then you'd think you'd always rationalize and say, oh, there's always one person who doesn't look like that. So I would say that, but also my mindset was so different than anybody else's and everybody mm -hmm. would comment on that. I think I'm just somebody who really, who likes adventure and wants to push the box as much as possible on my own life. So I have, you know, peak experiences. And I think a lot of other people like to play it a little safer, closer right. to home. Yeah. So I would see that. And honestly, I'm, I'm probably very dating myself, but do you remember or did you ever go to Disneyland when they had the Monsanto ride? And it was these little, little, you'd see like a scientist with a big magnifying glass looking at these little cars of people. Right. And, yeah. then, and then you keep getting smaller and you were supposed to be in that car. I felt yeah. like that's now, I always had felt like there was a big magnifying glass over my life okay. that my family would be looking at me. And I think, what are they looking at? And I always thought, well, wow. I was so uh, insecure. And I thought, yeah. well, no, I'm yeah. just being insecure. But now I feel like that makes sense to me. Right. Yeah, that does. Looking for difference, but also looking to see what you might know. And mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, so, it, it's just so interesting that the circles and circles and circles that you yes. describe of it. Um, yes. Of it affecting. 
Uh, is there anything that struck you when you met your biological sister that struck you as familiar? It may have been if it had, I had had more time because yeah. at this point, even though I was moving forward, uncovering every stone and determined to find it, it also felt so it felt traumatic. It right. felt like trauma. So I could see myself moving forward, but taking a step back, moving forward, taking a step back. And I had planned to meet her in a restaurant in our hotel and, and for like an hour and a half. That's the amount of time we spent. And I think I'll never forget her walking in because that's the first thing you think. Am right. I going to see a twin? And I'm sure she was thinking the same thing. I saw somebody. It's funny. I looked at her and she I said, OK, we we have you know, similar straight hair and we have glasses that are the same. And I thought, well, she's wearing the outfit I'm going to wear tomorrow. <laughs> I was thinking, so you know, she, I wear leggings all the time. She was yeah, wearing leggings yeah. and a blue top. So um, I think we were very respectful and very watching each other during mm -hmm. that first meeting. Mm -hmm. In some ways, if I were to be honest, I think she's extremely resilient Mm -hmm. And I, I really marvel at that. My husband and I talk about that because she went through, I mean, her upbringing was not easy one bit. And I, I often think, God, I was so close to that, you know, and, and um, mm -hmm. so I think, and I think I'm a pretty resilient person. So I think we share that resilience. She's yeah. also very, I can tell she's an adventurous sort and I'm kind of like that. So there are these little things that pop in as I get to know her better. Right. Yeah, I would say you're a resilient sort. <laughs> okay, right? You really, really have to be. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a, so, I mean, we, you know, we, we on this uh, on this podcast, we, you know, we've interviewed, you know, lots of authors and uh, people will speak about in the nonfiction publishing world and mm -hmm. memoirs. And, and I mean, you've written this memoir. I mean, did you have an idea, like, who is your, your ideal audience for a book like this? Like, who do you think is going to read this book and think, you know, be blown away? I mean, other than the fact that it is like a dramatic story for anybody, but mm -hmm. who, what audience did you have in mind when you, when you put pen to paper? Well, I put pen to paper as me, as the audience for starters, right. just right. to get it down. As you say, almost it was a therapy for me. That was okay. very helpful, but I did do a book proposal. So in the book proposal, you're, you're supposed to list your target audiences. Right. So that made me really think. So I'll start with memoir readers, readers of memoir. But I also think that, um, especially based on the reviews I'm getting and I'm hearing what where people are saying, wow, I really connected with this. And then somebody else says, I really connected with this. So I would say another group of people are people who are going through the experience that I went through, which is called LDA, late discovery adoptees. Oh. There's a term for it. I didn't mm -hmm. even know that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so there's a few of us out there who are discovering things. And I am in various groups of LDAs. And it feels like we have a very similar experience. It's right. just like the rug gets pulled out from under you. You don't know mm -hmm. where to find your footing. And I feel that I started there and I feel like I'm on solid ground now. And I see a lot of LDAs really struggling years and years and years and years after the fact. So right. I would hope that that group of people might be able to read that and find some comfort or some hope or some something that could be useful to them. Yeah. Uh, I also see, uh, for example, you know, there's the whole there's the whole line of or the whole thread of uh, first generation 
Americans with immigrant parents. And, exactly. I was right? the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, dog lovers, because there's a thread yes. about how animals, dogs, helped me my whole life. They were there. They were my best friends. They were seeing me through some of, a lot of the tough things from beginning to end. And I mean, of course, there's also a lot of people that, while not anywhere near as drastic, get some kind of surprise when they do do these um, mm -hmm. DNA tests. Absolutely. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. all sorts of like right now, there's a lot of uh, these donor conceived mm -hmm. people who suddenly find out they have, you know, 10 siblings because yeah. of the, of the um, yeah. So. Well, this has been very riveting. And yeah. I just wanted to reiterate to anyone watching that uh, Junkyard Girl is available on, what, on Amazon. Yes, and you can you can order it from any bookstore. Any bookstore. Yes. And uh, it is a fascinating tale of a uh, late discovery of, uh, of someone's uh, birth parents or birth mother rather. Um, and really just, um, it's, it is a shocking and heartwarming story. So I encourage you to go buy the book. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much, Carlene, for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Carlene. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's just been an absolute pleasure. And uh, we will see everyone again next week. Uh, have a good one. Bye, everyone. Bye.